In your copy of the Holy Scripture, I invite you to turn to Genesis 19 this morning. Genesis 19. Genesis 19 records God's destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because according to chapter 18, verse number 20, their sin was very grave. And as we read the account this morning, we will concur. Sodom and Gomorrah's sin was very grave. If there was ever a time and a place where God's righteous judgment should fall upon the wickedness of man, we might first point to Genesis 6. In the days of Noah, when God destroyed the whole earth with a great flood, but then we would point to Genesis 19 in the days of Lot, when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone. But here's the thing I've written there at the top of your notes. God's judgment upon the wickedness of man isn't just a thing of the past. It's not something we only read of in ancient history. It is very much a thing of the near future. In Luke 17, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, that's Genesis 6, and likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, that's Genesis 19, so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And folks, what we will read of this morning in Genesis 19 doesn't only describe ancient history, it describes current events. It, is, it describes a future reality when Jesus will return to render righteous judgment upon the wickedness of man. Our deliverance is the promise of Romans 8, verse number 1, that we just sang. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. But from Genesis 19 this morning, I prepared a message titled Destruction and Deliverance. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God in heaven, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for your amazing love. How can it be that you would die for us and deliver us from the righteous wrath of God, the righteous judgment that we all deserve? We thank you, Lord, for that. God, this evening we come to a scripture text that is grave. It's sobering. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would instruct us just now to understand your righteous destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the deliverance you offer by your grace. For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You have your Bibles open before you to Genesis 19. I would point your attention to Genesis 19, verse number one. Now, the two angels came to Sodom In the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. This is very reminiscent of chapter 18, verse number one, when Abraham was sitting in the door of his tent, and heavenly beings came to visit him, and he bowed himself to them. In fact, take a quick moment and compare chapter 19, verse one, as I just read, with chapter 18, verse number one and two. The difference is that Abraham was in the door of his tent in Genesis 18, verse number one, while Lot was sitting in the gate of the city in chapter 19, verse one. To sit in the gate of the city was to have a seat of civic authority. Lot was one of of Sodom's officials. After all, Lot was a wealthy man and Lot's uncle Abraham was a powerful man who had delivered Sodom from, from their enemies back in chapter 14. 
Look at verse number two. And he said, hear now my lords, this is Lot speaking, hear now my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. Now, just as Abraham was hospitable to his heavenly guests back in chapter 18, so also Lot was hospitable to offer the care to these angelic beings, these heavenly beings, these, these men, inviting them to stay in his house. For what it's worth, verse number two gives us the first occasion or the first mention of a house in all the Bible. Abraham lived in a house. I'm sorry, Abraham lived in a tent, Lot here is living in a house. Abraham was a pilgrim. Lot is a resident in the city of Sodom. When the angels visited Abraham in, verse, in chapter 18, they gladly accepted his hospitality. But when the angels visited Lot in Sodom, they declined Lot's hospitality, saying, we'll, we'll spend the night in the open square. There in verse number two. Look at verse three. But he insisted strongly, Lot did. So they turned into him and entered his house. Why do you suppose that Lot was so insistent? Why he was so urgent that they stay in his home? I think Lot knew that the nightlife in Sodom wasn't a place for heavenly guests that night. Verse three, again, the end of verse three, then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. It's curious to me that the Bible tells us that Lot made unleavened bread. Do you think that unleavened bread was a a staple in the city of Sodom? I doubt it. All through the scripture, leaven or yeast is a picture or a symbol of sin. And for that reason, when God instituted the Passover in Exodus 12, he commanded on the first day, you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. And so I can't help but believe that even before the giving of the law, God had instructed Abraham regarding sacrifice. God had instructed Abraham regarding unleavened bread. And so Lot made an effort to accommodate his guests with kosher food, if you will, here in Genesis 19. But the irony is great. Lot is living in Sin City, and he's serving unleavened bread. Supper is hardly over and there's an uproar at Lot's door and the young, lustful hoodlums of Sodom make their demands. Where are the men? Bring out the men. Look at verses four and five. Now before they lay down that evening, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house and they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may know them carnally. Folks, what is being suggested here is perverse. And yet Lot's response is worse yet. Verse number six, so Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. I find it appalling that Lot would call the townsmen brethren. How is it that the nephew of Abraham, the friend of God, one who has previously confessed his His faith in Abraham's God is now calling the homosexual citizens of Sodom brethren. I wonder if there's not a bit more dialogue between verses seven and eight, for it seems that Lot is so quick 
to offer up his own daughters to be violated in place of his guests. Look at verse number eight. See, now I have two daughters. I hope there's, there's a lot going on between verses seven and eight. But Lot is so quick, he says, verse eight, um, see, now I have two daughters who have not yet known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my Ruth. Roof. And, and, and here then, the people turn on Lot, so they pressed hard. Um, verse number nine, and they said, stand back. And, and they, then they said, this one came in to stay here, that is Lot, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the, the door, and, and they're turning on Lot. And, and so the heavenly guests have to intercede in defense, verse number 10. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Folks, we ought to recoil at the reading of this account. And the corrupt chaos that it describes ought to disgust us all. I... I call it, number one, living in an immoral world. Living in an immoral world. Folks, we live in an immoral world today. And we ought to recoil. It ought to disgust us. Every day we learn a violent crime and immorality that occurs in our own cities. Wickedness is normalized. In fact, wickedness is normalized in such a way today that it has even become the very themes of our entertainment We could spend the rest of the day lamenting the wickedness that characterizes our culture. But it begs the question, how do we, as the people of God, live in an immoral world? How do we live in this place? Lot was living in a house in Sodom. Lot was privileged in position in Sodom. One might think that Lot could have lived above or beyond the wickedness of that city. He could have been insulated from the debauchery of Sodom, maybe living in the suburbs, if you will. He was a white-collar, middle-class citizen, but the wickedness was at his front door. So we ask ourselves, how do we live in an immoral world when the wickedness of our world is at our front door? Let me ask us, a few questions about life in an immoral world. First, do we live in the world intentionally? Do we live in the world intentionally? And by that, I mean, do we choose to li- live here? There's every indication that Lot chose to live in Sodom. The biblical record makes that very apparent even over the last couple chapters. Verse number nine, we read it a moment ago. It says that Lot came to stay there. And he was even acting as a judge in some position of, of rulership over them. And I would submit to you that Lot was in Sodom intentionally. And we make choices as well. We make choices to participate in the world as we know it. And our entertainments and our recreations and our activity and our acquisitions are intentional decisions that we make to maximize the convenience of our participation in the world. You say, but pastor, that's not really my intent. Okay, do you live in the world involuntarily, involuntarily let her be. I I think of Daniel 
and the other Hebrew captives who lived in Babylon against their will. They were exiles in a foreign land. They would not have chosen to live in Babylon, but they were involuntarily put there. We might say, it's not my fault. I was born into this world. I didn't ask to grow up in this place, but God has put me here. What am I supposed to do? Okay. We're living in an immoral world involuntarily per the providence of God. Are we pilgrims and strangers just passing through or have we sunk our roots deep, deep, deep into this place? Intentionally or involuntarily, we all live in an immoral world of necessity. The key is, letter C, do we live in the world indistinguishably? If you can squeeze that into the blank, if you need to cheat from the screen to know how to spell that, indistinguishably. That is, can anyone recognize the difference between me and the others in this world? Is there any distinction among the people of God and the citizens of Sodom? Is it clear that we are not of this world? living in an immoral world. Back in the text here, Lot's heavenly guests, these angelic beings, these men, they now cut to the chase in verse number 12. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So first, there's maybe living or life in an immoral world. Secondly, leaving an immoral world. And the same apocalyptic revelation that was given to Abraham in chapter 18 is repeated now to Lot in chapter 19, verse 13. God is preparing to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and consequently, Lot and his family need to flee. Verse 14, so Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters and said, get up. Get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But his sons-in-law, to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. Now, depending on the rendering of your English Bible translation and the interpretive decisions that you make, it may be that these sons-in-law were preparing to marry the two daughters that Lot has just offered up to the mob. Or it could be that Lot had other married daughters. There's an argument for both. It it really doesn't matter in either case. Lot's extended family didn't take him seriously. They didn't believe him. They thought he was joking. So it causes me to speculate a bit. Why would they think Lot was joking about a matter like that? I submit that they thought that Lot was joking because they had never before heard Lot talk of the righteous judgment of God before this time. They were uninformed about Yahweh. They were insensitive to the degree of sin that was around them. And, And these things were entirely new ideas to them. That's unfortunate that they thought it was a joke. Why hadn't Lot communicated his knowledge of the God of Abraham? Why had Lot not have taught them and trained them over the course of time and, and years about the divine consequences for those who did not fear Yahweh? They think he's joking. 
Look at what happens, verse 15. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of the two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to him, they brought him out and set him outside the city. We're gonna come back to that mercy, the mercy of the Lord in verse 16. Verse 17, so it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, please know my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight and you have increased your mercy which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil overtake me and I die. Are you kidding me, Lot? These angels are delivering you by the mercy of God from the city of Sodom and you're worried about life in the mountains? After all that's happened the last 12 hours over the night here, you're worried about your own safety and security? Verse 20. Verse number 20. See now, this city is near enough to flee to and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, see, I have favored you concerning this also in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar after, after the night. Help me with this. What is Lot's attraction to the city? It's very curious to me that at a, a, a minimum, it, it indicates how rooted Lot was in the things of this earth. Verse 24 and 25, then the Lord, this is Yahweh, rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. Just as God had said, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed with brimstone fire and then verse 26 is perhaps the the most familiar piece of the story but Lot's wife looked back behind him verse 26 she became a pillar of salts it appears that Lot's wife longed for Sodom so much that she felt compelled to disobey the command back in verse number 17 the command was don't look back but that's the way it is many times for us with our affection for the things of this life and even when God in his mercy provides deliverance from destruction there is always an attraction a temptation to return to the life we had known in this world it's also the way it is with our repentance many times many times we, we declare Jesus to be Lord of our life but we like to glance back and indulge ourselves with the memories and the thoughts of our previous life. It was in Luke 17 that Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. We must remember Lot's wife because her longing look back to Sodom is instructive to us and it was her own demise. Verse 27, I know the narrative is long. Then Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw that, behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of 
of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. Folks, Genesis 19 is a horrific account of the righteous judgment of God upon the wickedness of man. And it's an account of the merciful deliverance that God provided for Lot. The rest of the story here, verses 30 to 38, are as perverse as the beginning of the story. In verse number 30, your eyes are there. You can read these verses. Lot and his daughters then lived in a cave, committed incest to propagate their family line. I'm not gonna take the time this morning to to read verses 30 to 38, but you're looking at them now. and, and, And I would just say this, while Lot was able to get himself and his daughters out of Sodom, he was not able to get Sodom out of his daughters. And the horrible wickedness that took place there in the cave in that matter of incest. In reading Genesis 19, there is little indication that Lot is a saved man. However, 2 Peter chapter 2 makes a remarkable statement about Lot. I'll project this here for you on the screen. This is 2 Peter 2. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness, this is in eternity past, to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, being in the flood on the world of, of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward live godly, or live ungodly, I'm sorry, Verse number seven, and delivered righteous lots. What? Righteous lots, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man, Lot, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul. Righteous soul? From day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds? Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Folks, how is it that the New Testament calls Lot righteous after Genesis 19? I'll tell you why. The answer is that Lot's righteousness was not his own righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Lot believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Yet the tragedy here is to possess the righteousness of Jesus Christ and yet subject him to the filth of our wicked world. We live in a proverbial or we live in a literal Sodom and Gomorrah today. That's Roman numeral number one, living in an immoral world. So how then do we leave our immoral world if in fact we have been robed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ? But perhaps I can offer some points of application as we conclude. It was in 1 Corinthians 5. Paul said this, I wrote to you in my epistle, a previous letter, not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Beam me up, Scotty. There's no intelligent life here on this planet. Let me escape. I've written to you not to keep company with one who's named a brother, a professing believer 
who's this. Here's the fact of the matter. Folks, we can't leave this immoral world. We're stuck here. We're ground bound until either we die or the Lord raptures us up and away. So what is our point of deliverance? How do we leave this immoral world by yet being here? And positionally, we've sung of it. I've already cited it, Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Upon our salvation, we are safe and secure from the wrath of God, but practically, we yet live in Sodom and Gomorrah. We live in an immoral world, so how can we then leave it? We can leave it in these ways. First, a question of similarity. A question of similarity. We're quick to recognize the similarity between Sodom and our own society. We could spend the rest of the day lamenting how that modern day America is no better than Sodom and Gomorrah. The the similarities are clear, but I don't want us to think about the similarity between Sodom and our society. Think about the similarity between lots and many professing, professing Christians today. In what way? Lot was, at best, half-hearted in his holiness. In this way, he pragmatically tried to show hospitality to both his heavenly guests and to the perverse townspeople at the same time. Folks, you cannot please both God and man. You cannot be a friend of God and a friend of the world at the same time. On Sunday morning, we fit in well with the people of God. We come to the service in our Sunday best. We sing the hymns. We say amen to the preacher once in a while. Um, But then you know what? We also fit in pretty well in the world, don't we? Monday through Saturday. We fit in among the world's people as they live in sin. So there's a question of similarity. Secondly, let me give you the matter of security, a matter of security. Lot was insecure about leaving Sodom for a variety of reasons. His house, his possession. He didn't want to escape to the mountains lest some evil overtake him and he die. Verse number 19. But folks, our safety and security is not in the things of this life. Rather, it's in the mercy and the deliverance of God. That's our security. And in spite of Lot's gross failures, the Bible tells us in verse 16 or 17 that the Lord was merciful to him, sparing him from judgment. So don't look to your doctor for help or your financial planner for for funds or your home alarm system for security. Psalm 121 says, I will lift up my eyes from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Your security is not here on this earth. Don't store up your treasure here where moth and rust corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. Don't place your security here. It's a matter of security. When you feel lonely and when you feel oppressed, when you're lost or afraid or guilty, don't turn to the world for answers. Turn to God for mercy and for deliverance. There's the question of similarity. There's the matter of security. Let us see. There's the principle of separation. Now, I don't want you to put your things away just yet. Don't lose me. This is, this is I think, conclusively critical to our entire study. Lot's life serves as a powerful example of the principle of separation. And as I see it, two phases in Lot's life that each tend toward an opposite extreme. First phase, Lot lived in Sodom in identification and association with sinners, among sinners. 
Okay, so did Jesus. Here's the Gospel of Mark, and when the scribes and Pharisees saw that Jesus was eating with the sinners and tax gatherers, they began saying to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax gatherers and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so while both Lot and our Lord live in close proximity to sinners, just as we do in this world, it appears that Lot tolerated and accommodated it while Jesus spoke clearly of man's need for salvation from their sin. Lot's failure was not necessarily living in Sodom. Living in a crooked and perverse generation isn't the wrong, but failing to proclaim the message of sin, righteousness, and judgment is the wrong. So we live in an immoral world, folks. We can't get out. We eat with sinners. We need to proclaim the gospel to them as Jesus did. The second phase of Lot's life was lived in a cave. Verse 30 and following. And it's as if Lot's pendulum swung. He he tried to deal with the world living in Sodom by separation, right? He moved off the grid, if you will. He left the house in Sodom and he went to the cave in the wilderness beyond separation, even seclusion, for after all, isn't isolation the, the, the preventer of infection, right? Social distancing, that'll solve the problem. Quarantine the sick. Surely if, so- if Lot didn't live in Sodom, but he lived in a cave, he could live free from sin. What happened? The end of chapter 19. As it turned out, Lot failed in both the city and Lot failed in the cave. And it was in the cave in these final verses where drunkenness numbed his senses to the point of committing incest with his daughters. Folks, the irony is that Lot's daughters had preserved themselves from sin while living in the city. Chapter 19, verse eight tells us that they were yet virgins in the city, but yet they sinned greatly in the cave. And so I, in speculation, submit that Lot's daughters learned a point of morality. They were taught that morality must sometimes be sacrificed to practicality. Did you catch that? Morality must be sacrificed to practicality. When they stood inside the door and they overheard their father offer them to the perverse men of the city, Lot's daughters learned that morality can be set aside in an emergency. And then once they saw their father's plight, their own plight in the cave as an emergency, They had no other family. Incest was the only solution to their practical problem. And so their morality yielded to the emergency. Here's the insight. The biblical principles of personal separation must evidence a delicate balance between two dangerous extremes. The answer is not to live in Sodom. The answer is not to live in the cave. The answer is not to live in society or to live in seclusion. The answer, the proper balance, 
to the city of Sodom in the seclusion of the cave, I submit, is the tent of Abraham. Folks, we need to live as pilgrims and strangers in an immoral world. And the way we leave this world is what Peter wrote. 1 Peter 2, Beloved, I urge you, as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage against the soul, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation when the Son of Man is revealed. May God help us as we live in an immoral world We understand what even the the legislature in the state of Minnesota did this very weekend in removing all restrictions from abortion. May we live here without becoming part of it or it becoming part of us, but be salt and light. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, I pray that you will preserve and protect us by your mercy and your grace or that you would deliver us from this wicked and perverse generation. Lord, we pray that that you would help us to be salt and light, that we might be other than different from the world as pilgrims and strangers, exiles, aliens just passing through. Lord, we're so thankful for your mercy and grace toward us and that we are not under the righteous judgments of God that is due this, this world but rather your wrath has fallen on Jesus Christ. We're robed in his righteousness. Lord, take our lives now, I pray. And, And may we be consecrated to you in every way in Jesus' name, amen.